Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's Dina Calmetta here and Susan Davis with Jesus 24-7. And today we're going to continue in our series, Daniel for Beginners, and we are on chapter two. I just love this series, Susan. Well, I do too, Dina. I like it more than I thought I would. (laughs) It is just a fascinating book, and I'm so excited to learn more today. Well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to hit the ground running because we really need to. It's a big chapter, chapter two. This is going to be awesome, and this is a great chapter of the Bible because, Dina, quite honestly, it reveals the future. It is uh, evidential that God is who he said he was, always will be, and that his words spoken come to pass. And it's also very significant in understanding more about Daniel, the character of Daniel in the Bible. So it accomplishes a lot of exciting things. And like we said in our first uh, chapter experience, we talked about that this isn't your grandfather's Sunday school class. We're really going deep into this and looking at it from the standpoint that it aligns with other books in the Bible, former books in the Old Testament, and future books in the New Testament, as well as Revelation and some other of the revelational books of the Bible. So it's a very exciting study, and it goes hand in hand with our Revelation study that we did, Revelation for Beginners. I highly recommend that you please go back to chapter one in this series. It really sets the stage for this story, but we're going to move ahead into chapter two. So if you're joining us, we are going to study Daniel line by line and see about this amazing character, Daniel. Now, just as a reminder, we are at a point in the story where Jerusalem and the Israelites became very evil and turned their back to God. And so God allowed their worst enemy to come in and take over, and that was Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And he was just coming off of a major war campaign that was successful with the likes of Egypt, and he was the prince at the time, and he was also coming into power. His father was passing on, and he was the king, and so he was a little bit you know, full of himself, we'll put it that way. And so he decided to run a campaign with the Palestine area and he moved in. They took over Jerusalem. They pretty much took all of the belongings of, you know, the temple of God and moved them to Babylon, and they took the people. They took some of the best people. They left some behind, by the way. And I think you can go back to 2 Kings 25 and check out more information on that. But today, we're going to go forward. And so let me start reading here. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Then... The king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. Well, let me just jump in here, interject for a moment. We see that the king relied on magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, basically necromancers. And necromancing is evil to God. Necromancing is when somebody is talking to, they think they're talking to the dead, but they're really talking to demon spirits. 
because there are we don't talk to dead people there are no dead people we can talk to we can only talk to demons but that's who these guys were connected with magicians astrologers sorcerers were connected to demon spirits not a good look but he mentions the chaldeans and i just want to give a little history on the chaldeans we first hear of the chaldeans actually all the way back to abraham and we see them in genesis 11:31. abraham was in the land of the chaldeans originally and it says they went out together from Ur, that you are of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. So we kind of see this as very far back in the Bible, back into Genesis. We hear about the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans uh, had a reputation of being very evil and very dangerous. They were brutal people. Okay. Mm -hmm. But today there are still, you know, remnants of the Chaldeans in Iraq. Did you know that, Dina? I did not know that, no. Yes. And they actually, a large number of them moved into Michigan and, you know, set up homes in Michigan. Isn't that interesting? How interesting <laughs> is that? Yeah, right. Okay, so we go on to verse 3, and we hear, it says, And the king said unto them, I have a dream to dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king of Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants in the dream, and we will show the interpretation. And I just want to mention another thing about Chaldeans. As far as Babylonian history, the Chaldeans came in and lived in Babylon, and it's really unclear. They think that Nebuchadnezzar was Babylonian but you know had the Chaldeans in his kingdom so it's not really clear that he was a Chaldean himself okay I just want to say that and the king answers in verse 5 here and says to the Chaldeans the thing is gone from me if ye will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof ye shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made a dunghill well, he says he can't remember the dream. I think he's he's moved by the dream. He knows it's important, but he can't remember it. And I think that's normal. People have dreams and they don't remember them, right? <laughs> but he's asking them to do the impossible. Pretty much, right. And he knows. I think he knows that he's asking for a lot. But he goes on to say, if you show the dream and the interpretation thereof, you shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream. We will show the interpretation of it. And, you know, basically they're saying, if you could just come forth with that dream, we'll make something up. <laughs> <laughs> We'll give you a false interpretation, but, you know, we'll, we'll figure something out. And the king answered and said, I know of certainty that ye would gain the time because ye see the thing is gone from me. But if ye will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me. Till the time be changed, therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. Well, I just want to comment here that Nebuchadnezzar, we don't know where his head is at this time because he could have had some issues with his people lying to him and he's testing them. So I kind of think that might be the case. In 10, it says the Chaldeans answered before the king 
and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things at any magician, or astrologer, or Chaldean. Like, this is unprecedented. He's asking a lot. And if they don't come forth with an answer, they're going to die. This is a serious for them, okay? Now, 11 says, And it is a rare thing that the king requireth. And there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods, and that's little g, whose dwelling is not with the flesh. For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows also to be slain. So, wow, we see this is going on now. Where did this take place? Well, we see this taking place in Babylon, and it took place, Dina, in the year 603 B.C. This is how far back we go. We're 603 years out from the birth of Jesus Christ. And that's an important thing to know and show you as we go forward the importance of that date, knowing that. But let's go ahead and take a look at this next one, verse 14. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He's ready to go. He's ready to go right in there and kill these people, right? <laughs> <laughs> he answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the king known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah his companions. Now, we know these are the three companions of Daniel that were brought over into Babylon for their 70-year stint in Babylon. God condemns them to be slaves of the kingdom of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar for a 70-year stint. That was the punishment that was coming from God, and that's who they all are, and we discuss that further in the first chapter. But I want to make a little comment about Daniel at this point. Okay, so in this scripture, we see something pretty amazing about Daniel. He knows that they're in a huge hurry to kill everyone, including him, and his companions. So they're in dire straits at this point. But look at this. He jumps right in without thinking. He just says, no, I'm gonna, we're going to get this taken care of. And you know who this reminds me of? This reminds me of David. King David? Now, King David, right. Like they're having trouble with uh, their enemy. And what does David do? He goes right to King Saul and says, that he, he, he could take care of Goliath. Oh, that's right. The Goliath. No problem. Right. No sweat. I got this one. Okay. And he doesn't even flinch. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a, uh, Goliath is the giant and nobody can seem to conquer this guy. And David just, he grabs his sling, you know, they want to put armor on him and everything. And he just goes out with a sling and, and three stones, right? That's right. And he gets the job done, I think, with the first stone. It was only one stone that he needed. I think, yeah. And so he takes care of the matter, and it, it changes everything. I mean, it, it absolutely turns the whole situation upside down, and then the Israelites fight with confidence after that. But it's just the whole, you know, Daniel has that same childlike spirit of, of uh, King David. 
at that point. It's like, with God, it doesn't matter. I've got God, and I can get it done. I, it, you don't even flinch. You're like, this is how you know strong David and Daniel's faith were in God. Do you see that? Mm-hmm. And so we have to ask ourselves the question as we're reading this. This, to me, is exhibiting childlike faith. Like, you know, they didn't think, oh, you know, is this going to go bad? No. It was like they didn't pull back. They didn't doubt in their abilities because they knew that they had God. And so they had a strong faith. And that comes from a strong relationship with God, right? Amen. And so we as Christians need to develop such a strong relationship with God that when Goliath shows up or when our situations like with Nebuchadnezzar happen, that we can go forward with confidence. Okay, so I'm back to 18. It says that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning the secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Now, look at this. Dina, it wasn't a dream. He actually got a night vision, okay? That's different than a dream for Daniel here. And I want to take a little teaching moment just quickly to cross-reference scripture in the New Testament of Paul's writings in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 2.13, it says, Which things also we speak, not in the words of which men's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And so this is how we learn through the teaching of the Holy Spirit and not our own understanding and the teachings of men of the Bible and things of this nature is by comparing a spiritual thing with a spiritual. And clearly, this is what we have here in this encounter with Daniel. We've got Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and then we have Daniel's night vision. And that's comparing a spiritual thing with a spiritual. So the spiritual thing with Nebuchadnezzar is the dream, you know, that's given to him by God. And then Daniel's spiritual thing to compare it to is his night vision. And guess what? They both line up seamlessly. And that's what we're going to see here. And that is that relates exactly to that teaching that we find in the New Testament. So let's get on with this situation. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. And that is awesome. That is awesome. God is everywhere, and uh, we know that. I thank thee and praise thee, O God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might, has made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will shew unto the king the interpretation. Wow, just listen to his boldness. He is so bold, right? Mm-hmm. I love that. He's like, I'm, I've got this one, right? <laughs> and where is that boldness coming from, Dina? From the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's not Daniel. That's God speaking through him. Daniel is an instrument of God at this point, and it's obvious. 
with that confidence he has. Here he is with the king of Babylon that wants to kill everybody. And he's like, no sweat. I've got this. You know, that is boldness. And, you know, we know that Daniel was a teenager because we know about the time that he was in this area, Babylon, and how many years he served kings and he would have had to have been a teenager at this juncture. That makes him a very young man at this point. Okay, let's move forward. Verse 25, Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captains of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, Whose name was Belteshazzar? Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Now remember, Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar by the king. That was all part of their enslavement. They had new names. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is very interesting. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. Okay, before we go, go any further, there's something I want to read, because this so very much reminds me of another situation in the Bible that we're familiar with, and that is Joseph in the Old Testament. Remember Joseph? Yeah, I love that character. Now, I'm not talking about Joseph in the New Testament. I'm talking about Old Testament Joseph. And if we go back to Genesis, all the way back to chapter 41, and I'm at verse 8, it says, And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof, and Pharaoh told them his dream. But there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Do you remember this part? Mm-hmm. Now, just like Nebuchadnezzar, Pharaoh has a dream, and God gives him this dream. It goes on, it says, Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants that put me inward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night, and he, we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was with us a young man, a Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard and we told him and he interpreted to us our dreams to each man according to his dream and so it came to pass as he interpreted to us so it was he restored unto mine office and him he hanged so then pharaoh sends and calls joseph and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon and so pharaoh said unto joseph in verse 15 i have dreamed a dream and there is none that can interpret it and i have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it now watch this is what joseph says and joseph answered pharaoh saying it is not in me god shall give pharaoh an answer of peace and so there you go. I mean, Joseph and Daniel had very much the same character. At, you know, they were pretty much equals, wouldn't you say, in their character? 
Absolutely, yeah. They both give full credit to God for their interpretations. Their situations are so similar and remind me so much of each other. It's incredible. Even, you know, the type of people that they were. So in 29, here we see this, we go on. As for thee, O thy king, O king, thy thoughts came into mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation of the king and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. And 31 says, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was fine gold, his breast and arms of silver, his belly and thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Okay, now, at this point, Daniel's talking to Nebuchadnezzar. He is the greatest leader on the planet at this point. He is the big guy. Okay, he's giving him an interpretation of a dream that nobody else knows the dream or can interpret the dream because they don't even know the dream. And here he comes forth with an with this telling of the dream. And I am sure at this juncture that Nebuchadnezzar is falling off of his throne. What do you think, Dina? Oh, absolutely. Probably I mean, he's I'm sure he's sitting there in shock. I mean, he's probably got totally gobsmacked by this, right? Is This is like a major, you know, revelation to him. So he's probably now moved to the edge of his throne because now that this young man who revealed a dream no one else knew is about to give the interpretation. And so I'd say that he is front and center for this one, right? Absolutely. Okay, 36 says, this is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And who, and wheresoever the children of man dwell, the beasts of the field, and the fowls of the heaven, hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom, inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things. And as iron that breaketh all these shall, in break, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it the strength of the iron. Forasmuch as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to the other people. 
but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it will stand forever. Forasmuch as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, and the great God hath made it known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. Now, we see this Daniel is so very confident in his words, and I would have to say that Nebuchadnezzar probably believes every single word that was spoken by this young man at this juncture. He's totally got his attention. He totally believes him. His integrity has, you know, risen extremely. And, you know, I want to just say that I think his knee-jerk reaction, and we get to it later, is he wants to fall down and worship Daniel at this point. Mm -hmm. But before we get to that, I just want to say this. I want to say that at this point, Dina, Daniel and the king have come together a kind of a meeting of the mind okay daniel has risen into the king's mind as someone that he can consider like a confidant okay because they have shared the same encounter the same experience so that holds a lot of weight with him i'm sure so here's a guy who who gets this dream that he alone had so they have this in common now. So that puts them on kind of an equal footing. Do you see that? Absolutely. It, that's very exciting for Daniel because he wants to make known to this king, hey, listen, this isn't coming from me. It's coming from my God. And he's able to witness to this king about who his God is, right? And that's the kind of integrity we see with Daniel. So that's what makes this book or this book of the Bible so exciting is the integrity of Daniel. But let's take a look at these actual interpretations. And the exciting thing about this is Daniel, in one fell swoop, predicts the future. Is that incredible? Only God can Only do that. God. This is so exciting that with this one dream interpretation with a night vision given to Daniel, he tells the future. He It's the playbook of the future, right up until the kingdom of God is established. It's unbelievable. Out of the mouth of babes. He's a teenager. This is unreal. So let's take it. We've got to look at this closer because it's really exciting. Okay, let's go back here and we talk about the, the, king, the first kingdom of this statue is the head of gold, and that is Babylon. That is Babylon. One of the reasons that God uses gold is Babylon had a lot of gold all throughout the kingdom. They were using gold. There was gold in the walls and throughout the palaces and everything. And interesting to note, we talked about Marduk in the last chapter. Marduk is the great god of Babylon, who is also Satan, if you study this. And you go back to chapter one, but Marduk is always represented as a god of gold, like a gold bull. And so that's the tie-in to Babylon being the gold, you know, and that's why God, I think, uses that. Now, we see next that there's another kingdom that arises, and it is a kingdom of silver, okay? Silver. Now, what happens next in history is it's a it's a combo deal. It's the Medo, the Medes, and the Persians get together. And when do they do that? Well, they united in 550 BC, 550 years before the birth of Christ. These two superpowers formed a world power, and they then aspired to take down Babylon. 
and they were able to do it. And they did it in a military defeat in 539 BC. So they were formed in 550 BC, and they accomplished the takedown of Babylon in 539 BC. Now, we're counting backwards. If you if that sounds strange, it's because if you go before Christ, everything's running backwards. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we're getting closer and closer to the return of Jesus. But in 539 BC, that's when they come in. And why would God use silver to denote the Medes and the Persians? Well, there's a reason for it. They were the first to employ the use of silver for a taxation program. They started collecting taxes through coinage, and they started the whole concept of coins back then and uh, a system of taxation. So a lot of people don't know that, and it was silver, okay? So if you found a silver coin from that far back, it would be worth a lot, right? But that was uh, probably God's inference there, because silver isn't a very good for battle strategy. (laughs) So, okay, let's go forward. We've got to look at the next kingdom that uh, Daniel reveals here, and it's a kingdom of brass. Brass is something that was used for battle, and this is very interesting, because this represents the Greeks, the Greeks, which is another great boy uh, kingdom on earth now here in the scripture is amazing and i want to show you something amazing dina daniel says in verse 39 and after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee inferior to babylon and another third kingdom of brass which shall bear rule over all the earth Okay, so what's he talking about there? Okay, well, it's because the Greeks employed bronze or brass for military purposes. They began to use that product, brass, for weapons of war. Okay, and that's why they're known for that. And isn't that amazing? God called it. Do you see what I'm saying? Very cool. He knew in advance about these various kingdoms and how this would all happen. And I want to I want to show you something really fantastic about this Greek thing and how it ties into that scripture that we see in uh, 39. Just to show you just how amazing and prophetic this particular book is. Guys, if you go to Galatians 4.4, you're going to see a scripture that says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. So, we see that this is the time frame that Jesus is about to step forth and to come into as the Son of God on earth. Now, what is the fullness of time? Well, if you look that up, that meaning, it means like the series of events that leads to a final event. That's one definition, okay? And they're, what they're talking about here in 39 is that the Greeks, they bear rule over all the earth, which is something that the Medes, the Persians, and the Babylonians didn't do. But here's what happened. When the Greeks took power, there was a guy in charge, and his name was Alexander the Great. Remember that name? Yes. Well, Alexander the Great, he was quite a character, and he ran a war campaign that ran from Greece all the way through Asia, and he actually uh, took over more landmass through a war campaign than I, almost I don't think anybody else at that time at that time frame had done. 
And how did he do it? Well, sometimes wars are won by secret weapons. When in Civil War, when they introduce rifles, and you know, it, it changes everything. Well, Alexander the Great had a secret weapon, and that was elephants, okay? <laughs> he had large elephants, and these warring elephants helped him win, uh, you know, these wars. Now, here's the thing. This guy was very young. I think he might have been 29, 30 when he died. After he had conquered all this area, he was very sad because he didn't have anything else to conquer again. That's what I've read. But what's even interesting is he didn't live a good life because at the end he died of syphilis. That's what they say. But now, how does he fit into this Galatians 4.4, that Jesus comes in the fullness of time? Well, I'll tell you. Because of his war campaign, he moved the Greek language from Greece all the way over those continents that he conquered. And so the Greek language went out throughout the world. And when Jesus came into the world, he was among Hebrews and who spoke that language. And so at the point where Peter and Paul are told by God to move the gospel out to the gentile world the gentiles would not have understood the hebrew language because they were a little concerned they were a, you know they were that little people and that language was not familiar to the rest of the world but greek was because of alexander the great's campaign and that's the fullness of time do you see how god put that whole thing together and he moved that language all over in order to make prep preparation for jesus uh, message the gospel to go out to the entire world and that was all god plan and strategy from the beginning and that's when we see at that point you know, Jesus shows up. And that's why we also see that bronze is an important point of, you know, the Greeks. So then we go to the next kingdom. The fourth kingdom is strong as iron, because iron breaketh into pieces and subdueth all things. Well, iron was used by the Romans, and that's their kingdom. And why is iron the two legs of iron? Well, uh, this is because we've got, uh, it represents two legs of the Roman Empire. There was Western Roman Empire, and then there was the Eastern Roman Empire located with the city of Constantinople. Again, how could Daniel have known this? Only God would have known such a thing. Now, what about iron? Well, they developed the practice of, of iron and using it, it was called the Iron Age. You know, we can't, I can't get a real handle on how long the Iron Age lasted. They think anywhere from 1200 to 750 BC all the way into 43 AD. But clearly, the Iron Age takes place during the Roman Kingdom at this point. And so that's, you know, why the reference to iron. So finally, we go forward and we see the feet and toes Part of the potter's clay and part of the iron, the kingdom shall be divided. So we see the toes and the feet, which are part iron and part clay. And so we see 10 toes. Now, who are the 10 toes? Well, this is the revived Roman Empire. And I'll tell you what it is. This takes place in like Rome Falls, 476 after death, A.D. And then we see the revival of this Roman Empire in 1947, Dina. And I'll tell you what happens. We see three nations combined. That's Belgium, Netherlands, 
and Luxembourg. Then in 1957, we see the Treaty of Rome and Italy, France, and Germany joined those three countries. Then in 1973, there's a revival of the Roman Empire with the addition of England, Ireland, Denmark, and they joined that confederation. And finally, in 1981, Greece joins the rest of them, making the Ten Toes. So we've got these Ten Toes, and God refers to them as, interestingly enough, partially iron and mixed with clay. And he even says potter's clay. Well, let me tell you what that potter's clay is in my estimation. I believe that that potter's clay is God's creation, the human. And what is the iron? I believe that it's the technology. And I believe that this is in reference to the onset of the mark of the beast, you know, the plan of the Antichrist to insert the mark of the beast into God's creation, altering it. Okay, and boy, that is not going to go well. It says here, they will mingle, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is non, not mixed with clay. I mean, what do you think about that? Very possible. Yeah. But I think it becomes clearer and clearer as time goes on that that's the interpretation, as we can see what's going on around us right now. Okay, so then we see that for as much thou sawest that that stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, and the great God hath made known to king what shall come to pass hereafter in the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof, sure. So who is the stone? The stone is Jesus Christ, which was cut out of the mountain without hands right? Mm -hmm. And he's going to break that statue down. He's the one. And this is exactly what's going on here is that God sets up kings and he brings them down. He sets up evil kings even and brings them down. So this is the power of God. And ultimately, when it's all said and done, God is going to have the last word over all these kingdoms, including the kingdom of the of the mark of the beast and the Antichrist uh, that we see with the uh, the feet in the ten toes. Mm -hmm. So verse 46 goes on to say, Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. I think it's interesting <laughs> that they talk about sweet odors because that's one of the first thing he wants to give Daniel. And boy, today aren't we really involved in uh, fragrances and every, everybody loves that kind of thing. And they liked it back then too. Interesting. Verse 47 says, The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and is a Lord of, of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal the secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king and he said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Now I want to just clarify that this role that he was given, the chief of the governors, over all the wise men, it was really like a Supreme Court judge. That's what he was given. Very fitting for him. Yes. And, you know, I got to thinking about it as his role as judge under Nebuchadnezzar, that would have been really benevolent on God's part. Why? Because there were the people of Judah 
that were taken hostage by the Babylonians. And Daniel's immediately given this role as judge so that he can serve as a fair judge over his own people, most likely, because they had to live within those constraints for 70 years. And so they had Daniel probably, you know, working on their behalf through God. Isn't that amazing? That's perfect. Only God. Only God. Yes. And so that kind of right now wraps this chapter. So we've got a lot more exciting stuff coming next time in chapter three. Oh, I'm excited. Susan, thank you so much for sharing these pearls with us. This is just an incredible book and chapter. So thank you for the interpretation and for the reading. Just absolutely excellent. So thank you so much. This will be available, you guys, on the um, playlist, the Book of Daniel for Beginners, and also, of course, in our Jesus 24-7 playlist, as well as our Rumble channels and on podcast. And also, you'll be able to find it on our Jesus 24-7 page on Facebook. So I do encourage you to go check out Chapter 1 and uh, follow along with us. And you're going to love it, you guys. This is just an incredible series. So thank you again, Susan. Thank you to the listeners. Leave your comments below this video. We'd love to hear from all of you. And Susan, is there anything else you would like to add? Uh, Yeah, I would actually. Um, If you would like, go back to our uh, series that we do on spiritual giftings. If you want to learn more about God giving gifts to people, dreams and visions, and how the purpose of them, we kind of discussed that a little bit in this study. But check out those videos and also our Revelation for Beginners series that kind of lines up with the study of Daniel. Yeah, that's another great series, you guys. So make sure to check that out and I'll leave a link below this video. So with all of that said, thank you again, Susan. Thank you to the listeners and we will see you next time. God bless.